everybody welcome back to another edition of the untitled jeff gluck podcast i'm your host jeff gluck and i'm here with nascar's most controversial journalist maybe i don't know is that fair uh nick bromberg from yahoo sports nick how are you i'm nascar's most negative journalist. nascar's most negative have, journalist Nick is negative nick works and it's fits and everybody says it so it's true oh, everybody says it it must be true right? okay okay are you are you owning that or are you just uh i'm not owning it oh. i'm just admitting that it exists okay okay well uh, Mr. Negative Nick, uh, it turns out we had a positive race to talk about. Well, maybe I don't want to put words in your mouth. Maybe you think it was not good, but uh, I think most people are going to say that was that was an entertaining race. What do you think? It was an entertaining wreck. I'm going to start a race. Freudian slip there because I'm going to start by saying I wanted a wreck. You wanted and a wreck. That sounds very morbid of me. I want a wreck because we have had 12 races one intermediate track wreck this year that involved more than one car and that was the Stenhouse when he was on old tires at the end of the first stage I think at Auto Club Speedway and that really doesn't count because he was spinning on his own and got clipped by somebody else I want a wreck I think we'll if we have more late race restarts going forward I think that'll happen but someone needs to lose control of their car and crash and take out somebody else and have no one get hurt it's 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 fairly incredible uh, well obviously look the, the restarts are amazing I mean it and it, going four wide and stuff is like wow like surely they're gonna crash and then they don't you know what i mean right um, they, yeah they, they no one's going five wide like they did last night last year no one's even going four wide on multiple occasions like they did because they can do it because they know they can do it and they have so much downforce we have not reached that limit of what is out of control when you are multiple cars wide going at high speeds like they are tonight so um Yes, they, that, you know, that's definitely been a trend. Uh, they can control the cars. They can make great saves. Um, but, I, you know, I think we were in agreement, like, at least the first part of the race. And, and I was very surprised because, so, first part of the race, you know, maybe stage one, end of stage one, or maybe early stage two, I tweeted. And I said, you know, um, this race, you know, I, I don't think it looks too much different than a normal uh, mile and a half track. And, uh, you know, up in the press box, I've been talking to some people and we're just like, oh, it's, it looks like a normal mile and a half track race, you know, because especially drivers that said, hey, this could be really like the, the drafting sort of race that we thought. Um, and now the, the track, you know, the sun really hadn't gone down quite yet then. Anyway, I got all these replies back from people uh, watching the race at home saying, no, actually, I'm really enjoying this race. I think this is an awesome race. It's one of the best races of the year so far. And this was like in early stage two. And I was kind of taken aback because I thought, wow, I, I feel like the cars are all spread out, you know, especially in stage two when they were, uh, you know, I don't think there was any cautions in stage two, no, maybe. Yeah, that's right. Um, and but people it must have been a good broadcast or something at home, because even at that point, people thought it was good. And then, of course, in stage three, when it got really good after that caution, after the 14 lap caution for the tire or whatever, once they sorted that out, it, it got crazy. And that that was what truly made it a good race, I think, no matter what, what your view was. I think, yeah, I think you can look at it both as, you know, the 40 laps, the final 40 laps is going to color everybody's opinion of this race. And I agree. What I saw in stages one and two did not seem anything out of the ordinary that I had that hadn't been seen all year. But you look at the last 40 laps, and it was as people described on Friday of, you know, we could draft, we could 
because the, the sun's going to go down. Now, I want to see those 40 laps over 80 laps. And does that translate to, well to a longer run? Or would the longer run end up being like kind of what we saw in the first two stages, or at least in that second stage when it went straight through? I don't know. And I think having those two restarts at the end really helped create that. Chaos is a very strong word. Um, helped create the action that you saw, but also to the most underrated part of this entire race that set everything up from then on was Kevin Harvick's unscheduled pit stop. Yeah, that's true. Well, let's go to back to that in a second, but I, I agree with what you're saying where, like, to me, the last 40 laps were what I was kind of thinking would happen all year with this package. You know, I thought that was after the Vegas test, of course, as I've, I've talked about before, uh, I got my hopes way up. I thought I thought what we saw the last forty laps was going to be how it was going to race everywhere, whether it was Fontana or Vegas or whatever, um, and that that really hadn't been the case. So, you know, drivers afterwards were saying this is probably as close as NASCAR is going to get to the iteration that they want. I think that was actually exact quote from Eric Jones, um, and you know, unfortunately, they this is they got it they got an exceptionally cold weather race here. It was very cold weekend, and that played into it perfectly um two weeks from now when they're at the uh, coke 600 and it's hot slick charlotte memorial day weekend it's not going to be like this because they need they need the cooler temperatures and, and brad keselowski even said tonight the hot or the cold is the new hot or the nighttime is the new daytime kind of thing where everybody for a while dale jr and all these people were saying these damn night races they suck right because they, they ruined what was the old package. Now the daytime race and the hot temperatures aren't good for the new package. So this actually played perfectly. And, and that's, I think, had a huge deal or a huge impact on why it, was, it worked out well. And he goes back to where did this all, where was the genesis of this? Last year's All-Star race, where because the race sucked, because the re- leader would get out in that final 10 lap sprint and nobody would catch him off the restart, done. That's why they tried what they tried in 2018. It was an entertaining race. We now have in 2019 as a baby of what happened in 2018. And because it's a night race, you know, and you can't NASCAR, you cannot NASCAR can't advertise the Coca-Cola 600 as the, Hey, wait around for 450 miles. And then it may be kind of good in the last 150 miles because the sun will be down. You you, you can't have that. So who knows how it's going to be for those first 450 miles. Also race again. There's some tweaks. You can throw that out the window. Um, But you're right. You know, this was an unseasonably cool day in Kansas City. The sun was barely out. It peaked out a little bit during the race. It's not going to be like, it's probably not even going to be like this in the fall. I mean, the fall race is going to be a day race. The sun's going to be out. Mm -hmm. So you can't, if this is the perfect setup for what you saw at the end of tonight's race, that's, it worked. You know, it was, it was entertaining to watch. That being said, perfection is not going to happen again anytime soon or maybe ever at all the rest of the season. So let's go back to something you said about the Harvick thing, because I glossed over that. I think your point was that had Harvick not been forced to pit there with the tear-off that got on his grill and ruined his handling, and he thought it was a tire going down, he has pit and loses his track position and never really is able to overcome that, even though he got back on the lead lap at the end. But um, you're saying that this, this race wouldn't have been that good because you would have had a dominant car, which that, that took away the dominant car. Is that what you're saying? I, you, I think the racing might have looked similar on the restarts, but I think you're going to have a control car on the restarts that zips out. You're not going to have a situation where it t- worked out that 
Alex Bowman is leading. He's being chased by Brad Keselowski and being chased by Eric Jones. That's, that's simply not going to happen. throw a blanket over the top three. That's it, not going to happen. No, because I know they had sprinted out, I think, what, two seconds ahead of four. So it was just those three guys. It, it wasn't going to happen. But then you also saw, and guys were talking about this Friday, too, of when Harvick, even when Harvick got his lap back, he was he was 14th, I think, when he got his lap back. He finished 13th. He never worked his way through the field because finding the balance of having a car that's really, really good at the front of the field a car that's good in first may not be really good in tenth, and vice versa. A car that's really good in tenth in traffic is not going to be that good in first. So Harvick fought that, and also too, if it really was, if it really was the tear off that caused his car to handle poorly, that's a very, in my opinion, sad statement that a tear off in the right spot on the grill can make your race leading leads 105 laps car go to absolute crap. Well, I think it it probably covered up some sort of aeroduct or whatever like right i mean the, the, something that was key and, right that you know he said he couldn't even turn after that um yeah i mean if, if that's such a key thing this year with the package and that it gets blocked clogged up i mean but um so let's go talk about uh the race winner i'm not even sure we said his name yet uh oh sorry brad i hope uh, you're not listening oh no, i guess we, we said his name when we were talking about the blanket over the top three thing but yeah brad keselowski uh he wins his 30th career race and kind of comes out of nowhere in some ways because he didn't look like he was uh, a factor early on. And then he's sort of able to creep back up there. But it really looked like it was going to be somebody else's race. Like uh, briefly, Stenhouse Jr. after he made a great move. Um, Alex Bowman, it really looked like it was going to be his race. Um, and then maybe even Eric Jones. But ultimately, it's Keselowski who comes away with it. Is Keselowski just have more like experience in those situations to make those moves or was it his car or something else? Um, I, this is another question. If I could have asked three or four more questions in the press conference, what I would have asked is how much we all considered over the past three or four years, it was not unanimous, but it was pretty much a strong consensus that Brad Keselowski was one of the best plate drivers in NASCAR. How much of that plate success translates over now to where you are running close to flat out you are having to move to take away people's lanes you're having to draft how much of that success translate over and should we granted the Penske equipment some of the best in the business but should we not be surprised that the guys who have done well at plate tracks like Brad can succeed in a race like tonight where it does involve drafting and then outfox people who may not be as good as he was at plate tracks well and I think to build off your point um, part of his success traditionally at, at plate tracks over the last few years was his ability to block and defend when that was the package. And um, we've seen tonight how big blocks are necessary to control the race at the end there and take people's lines away. You know, it looked like Bowman would maybe have a run for a minute and then no, Keselowski moved down to block it. We saw where Eric Jones got his position by blocking the crap out of Clint Boyer. And Eric Jones said, well, that's what I had to do. Clint Boyer was mad, obviously. Um, but, I think, yeah, so those those guys who have the experience doing that, obviously it, it can't hurt. But I also think that that's similar to truck racing. And Kozlowski's done a decent amount of truck racing um, and used to have a truck team and all that stuff. And I think the way that you drive on these tracks is so similar to that. And I think that, that experience just pops up and comes into play. I mean, if you think about it, um, Eric Jones, um, he was great in the truck series too. And here's a track that you know, a race that race like that. And he's right up there. Um, Bowman, not really, but I, I just think that that's, that's another factor that translates over into it. But, um, and the, and also too, 
we may be talking about Alex Bowman winning this race if he doesn't catch the 51 car in an awkward spot and lose the ear off of his nose. I, I mean, that's, again, that's another thing we've talked about a year where guys have said it's really hard to pass lap cars. 51 car was way off the pace, but you're still having to fight through the turbulent wake. And if you could time, you hit that turbulent wake at the wrong time, someone's got to run up behind you like what happened tonight. Brad zipped by. Does Brad still, I think Brad had the faster car. He may still very well pass Bowman if that happens. It may just happen with, you know, three or four laps to go and not with seven laps to go like it did tonight. Well, and, and Kozlowski had a really interesting quote about um, how he made that, that winning move, like setting him up. He was talking about how it's sort of like a, a wide receiver and a cornerback um, in the NFL where you're you're trying to like deke one way and get the other guy to move. And then as soon as you have that little bit of an opening, you jerk over there and you're gone, you know, and that's that's kind of how he was able to do it. Um, so, I mean, I, I think that he he outdrove Bowman. He forced him into setting something up and he was able to get him. And if if Keselowski is racing uh, like a Harvick or a Kyle Busch or even a Truex in that situation or a Logano, I don't know that he gets that opening. You know what I mean? Like he I may think not. that the fact that Bowman Bowman's a good driver and and I think he is a wheel man, but he's not used to being in those situations, those race winning situations where you're really fighting for the lead yet. So. No, and with his three straight second place finishes, he may be in the lead right now for the Kyle Larson Memorial Trophy for the guy <laughs> who finishes second all the time. Yeah. Well, I mean, usually that's a good sign because when that when those second place finishes starts to come a lot Sometimes they often do break through. And, and I do think now that, that we can say Hendrick has definitely turned the corner a little bit. Yeah, because um, you had three cars in the top 10, and Byron was decent most of the night, and he finished. He still finished 20th. Yeah, I think he might have got trapped a lap down. I think he did, um, too, because yeah. it was very odd with, uh, with the tire caution. Yeah, what did you think about that? I, my take is that typically if there's a tire that rolls across pit road, I feel like in the past I'm pretty sure – We've seen NASCAR wait until the green flag cycle is complete, then throw the caution to go retrieve the tire. I don't think you're dreaming, and also I'll offer this as a nice compare and contrast. Earlier in the day at the Indianapolis Grand Prix, Elio Castroneves spun his car exiting pit road try into the grass off of turn one there, tried to get back onto the track, ended up beached off the track in a much more dangerous position than where that tire was tonight. IndyCar knowing that teams had to make one more pit stop and where at because there were teams on varying strategies being at road course being at a road course um left the pits open and threw the caution until everybody had the chance to make their final stop also rain was coming too so there was another factor as well but with a car just sitting off the track that could have been hit indycar had said okay you know what the chances of that are happening we're going to be pragmatic we're going to let everybody cycle this out and not arbitrarily affect the outcome of the race, where NASCAR, they threw the t- question for the tire more quickly than they did for debris from Ryan Blaney's car. And that's not hyperbole. That's not me just trying to say that. It, I was like, that tire caution happened quick. And Blaney made it a lap or maybe even clo- close to a lap or maybe even more than a lap before a caution came out for the debris from his flat tire. Well, and, you know, from NASCAR's standpoint, you could say, well... We, we did have a reason to throw it because, you know, they can throw it if they want to or not. It's judgment call, right? And because they threw it then, even though it set up a long caution, they got a good finish out of it. They, they produced an entertaining finish because of that caution. Right. The caution, the caution set up what we saw. That right. and Kevin Harvick's pit stop set up what we saw. Abs- absolutely correct. But at the same time, who knows what happens if that's a five-lap caution and not a 15-lap caution. I'm sorry. Yeah. There's absolutely no excuse 
for in the era of electronic timing and scoring and video cameras everywhere and photographers everywhere to not have the scoring lineup right in a reasonable amount of time. Well, I think what, if I'm not mistaken, and this is, it's, it's always tough for me to wrap my head around these situations. Um, you know, when, when a caution comes in the middle of green flag pit stops, I think so much of it has to do with where the leader was, uh, you know, in relation to the cars on pit road, like some of them on pit road are okay. Like if they're, if they're pitting before the start finish line and that plays a lot into it. So, you know, it's, it's very complicated obviously, but yeah, you, you should think that timing and scoring uh, would sort that out for you. And you can look at the screen and say, okay, well, this is what it says. Field's frozen. So this is the order, right? I mean, right. You know, and, I understand it's complicated, but I also have very high expectations because these are professionals in the number one auto racing series in North America. And also, the number one auto racing series in North America survived plenty long time and did all right without having electronic timing and scoring. So shouldn't this actually make the process easier and not harder? As Because this seems to happen once every year, once every twice a year. So, you know, yeah. it shouldn't happen this often. Let's talk about a couple drivers real quick. Um, Chris Busher and Tyler Reddick, both top 10 finishes. Tyler Reddick, um, you know, even though he's an Xfinity Series champion, I would say really wasn't a factor in the Xfinity Series for most of last year, right? Then he wins the championship, goes over to RCR, been super impressive over there in the Xfinity Series this year. This was only his second Cup Series start, but the other one was Daytona 500. So this was like his first real race, you could say, right? Top 10 finish. It was the nut butter. The nu- yeah. He, he came up to me in the, in the garage today while I was waiting for inspection, and he was literally passing out uh, little sample packets of the, the shampoo. What is, what is it called? It's called Tame the Beast. The Tame packages the Beast. that they're passing out are also um, interestingly shaped. I'll say that. Yeah, and, so, so he, and then he passes one out that, that you're supposed to, some lotion that you're supposed to put down there. And I was like, well, are you trying to tell me something? Because he just walked up to me and he's like, oh, you should try this. It says nut butter on the package, right. too. We're not lying. Right. And I'm like, well, is, should I be insulted here? And he's like, oh, I'm just trying to give free samples. Anyway, you don't see many drivers walk around uh, giving free samples of their sponsored product to people in the garage out of a box like they're like a, a marketing person and what, then go finish top 10 in the race. What would be the best driver product to have a free sample in the garage? Um, driver sponsor product. Let's see here. Well, I mean, can I have a car or <laughs> like, are you going from Ally Financial? Are you wanting your car insurance or do you want <laughs> Napa Auto Parts? Take Toyota Chevy and Ford I was thinking out when, of the like, equation when like Toyota sponsors like an unsponsored car or something like can you just get a car? I think that doesn't count oh, because okay. Toyota's already already in there. You're talking about like something somebody could give like you. Like if like if a driver came up to you and he was handing their sponsored product to you out of a box and say, "Hey, take it. It's free." What do you want the mm. most? And it doesn't have to be like monetary value. Like, what would you appreciate the most? Uh, donuts, pizza. Nobody has those, do they? Nobody has donuts and pizza. I mean, I would take the Bush Light. I'm no, no, no. Free beer if it's no. cold. I, as much as I like the Bush Light car or the Bush car, whatever, uh, for the All Star race, and changed my Twitter name to Jeff Gluck AF because of the whole millennial thing. Um, no, I wouldn't. I would not. No, I would not drink that. I'm not interested in that beer at all. Sorry, I don't. I don't think that's good beer. Uh, it's beer. I think then you'd have to go with the M and M's because okay, I'm, I'm, well, I'm that's looking. Something. 
yeah, I'm looking at this. There's really not much else unless you want the low T center, um, or Napa Auto Parts. Or what am I going to get at Napa Auto Parts? Auto Parts? They're going to give you an auto part, or Wait, but you're saying somebody they're handing me something out of a box, He's right? It could be like an a auto free part, a filter, lug wrench, or something. Okay. Um, Joy Gano could give you some free oil. Paul Menard would have given you free paint tonight. I'm just saying, like, uh, yeah, Tyler this, Reddick's this sponsor, it's actually, when you go down the sponsor list of tonight's race, the nut yeah. butter is not that far down it. FedEx. Yeah. No, Sunny D. Okay. Flashback to childhood. Maybe if somebody hand, came up and handed me some Sunny D. Anyway. Um, yeah, so, but good runs, though. Chris Busher and Tyler Reddick, top 10 runs. Busher finally, I think, got the top 10 that he deserved for quite a while because he has showed up at you see him at bristol saw him at richmond there was another race was it texas or somewhere else where he ran well and then did not have the finish to show it and tonight gets the top 10 and you know maybe that's a team that's going to go from being 24th 23rd in the point standings to being on the periphery of the top 20 should we take anything from the fact that um this is 12 races into the season now so one third of the points races and uh two teams have combined to win 11 out of the 12 races because it's another one for Penske tonight. Penske and Gibbs, all but one race. I think right? you absolutely have to draw the conclusion because the 600 will be the halfway point of the regular season. And, you know, opportunities to accrue playoff points are, are limited. And, you know, with the two-team domination, that's going to make a lot of guys get into the playoffs on points. And so I think that's going to – which to me is going to be fascinating going forward is if you have more opportunities for strategy – are guys in, you know, say 15th to 20th, are you more aggressive for a win, knowing that not many people have a win? Or are you banking on getting as many points as you can and hoping you can point your way into the playoffs? Yeah. I will say, though, that maybe the balance is starting to shift a little bit because, uh, like, Chevrolet, they were out to lunch earlier in the season, and now they have seven of the top ten tonight were Chevys. Yeah. So. And where did – Boyer was fifth, and then who was the second highest finishing Stuart Haas car? Um, let's see here. Almirola finished 12th, Harvick 13th, Suarez 14th. So that was not the day we, obviously the day went south when inspection Two happened. Two of them when, didn't even start up there. Right, yeah. when the inspection yeah. 400 happened and a bunch of people. Inspection 400. Got, well, I mean, 400 cars failed at this point, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, well, and, and it would have been different too, like if Kyle Busch, he was going to get a top 10 and maybe win the race. Kyle, and he Kyle ends up Bush, finishing 30th. Yeah, Kyle Busch's streak of top 10s. Morgan Shepard, you will still live on being 11 straight top 10s tied with Kyle Busch. That contact caused him to miss out. He would have probably finished. Well, he I did think, that himself, right? They were three wide on the front stretch, I think. I thought he wide. was kind of like trying to split Boyer and Jones. Yeah, and, he made, and he made it was aggressive, optimistic. It was an aggressive, optimistic move like you have to make in this. Yeah. It happened. Contact puts but no the cut tire is exactly why the top 10 streak ended it was not yeah. because of a poor finish or poor run i should say well now comes the big question nick what are people going to say in the mother's day was it a good race poll so votes are going to be down because it's going to be on sunday and everybody's going to be out to brunch with their moms i hope okay um so i'm gonna say 81 percent say it's a good race okay I'm going to be optimistic. I nailed Daytona. Remember, I nailed Daytona. That's true. So I, you, I had you and Nate Ryan on the Daytona podcast, and I forgot to ask you what it was. And then I realized, at least when we were recording it. Yes. So I asked you later 
I text you. It was on record in a message. Yes. Text you and Nate, what, what's your prediction? And you got it exactly right, I believe, right? So yeah, I'm going yes. to say 81 so. and that people were very happy with, with what they saw in the final stage tonight. So I think I'm going to go higher. I think I'm going to go higher. Ooh, I'm too conservative. Um, I think that just judging off the Twitter reaction and stuff like that, I do think Keselowski, like if it had been like a Bowman win or if it had been a last lap pass or, you know, overtime or something like that, it could have been higher. But I think people were pretty pleased with, with what they saw. And once you get up in the 90s, it's pretty hard. But I think I might say uh, 80s. I think I might say 87% yes. I almost want to go higher. I almost want to go higher, but I'm Do not it. I'm not quite bold enough. You know what? I'm going to say 89% yes. All right. 89% so yes. 85% is the tie. That's the tie. Yes. Okay. Also, a quick shout out to Brad Keselowski's restart there. We, we, you know, we gave him credit for being more of a veteran on Alex Bowman there making the pass, going as early as possible, and that final restart was a veteran move too. Eric Jones didn't like that. Eric Jones didn't like it, but as yeah. Eric Jones also said, NASCAR's not going to call it. We've all well, done it. And and Keselowski clearly knew. I'm sure he had it in his mind. Look, if I go 10, 20 feet early here, they ain't going to call this. Hell no. You do it. You push the limits. Yeah. He, he knows NASCAR is not going to want to make a call off that. So he went. He got away with it, probably. I mean, I haven't really studied the replay that much. We've been just rolling right into all this here, but... I'm not a professional auto racing driver, clearly, but I would think that it would be very hard to gauge exactly when you are in the zone that is painted on the outside wall, especially when you are on the inside line right. on and, a restart. And when I asked him about it in the press conference, he just grinned and he was like, no, I went exactly on the line. Exactly. It was exactly <laughs> on the line. Right. I'll, I'll stick I'm with sure that. That's did. fine. I'm sure you did. Yeah. Anyway, Nick, uh, of course, we can follow your negative tweets. Yes, you can. At, uh, at Nick Bromberg. <laughs> And your great work at Yahoo Sports. Uh, the place that actually pays me and not Twitter.com, by the way. So right. If you read the site that pays well, me, you will see that I'm really not links. that negative. I do, but then people don't read the stuff that's like not negative. Oh, oh I, you know see. What I see what you're saying. You're saying your articles aren't negative, but your tweets are. People think my tweets are. I people see, think right. my tweets are. I'm not, are. Ad- I am not admitting that I am negative. I will never admit that I'm negative. Okay, okay. I got you. I got you. Well, uh, what a time to be alive. Thank you, Nick Bromberg, for joining us on the podcast. Everybody else, we'll talk to you next time on the Untitled Jeff Gluck Podcast.